Well, like Chip mentioned, we have been in the sermon series called Better Together, and we've been talking about a lot of different aspects in which we are. We're all created in the image of God, and because not all of us are perfect, we need each other in our relationship with God to be able to experience who he really is, how he's working in our lives, and, and how, uh, how that uh, bolsters and strengthens our faith. But today, we're talking about a way in which we're better together that's probably the least comfortable way in which we're better together, the, the most difficult one to talk about, and the most difficult one to practice. Uh, one of the last things that I want to share with other people, one of the last ways I feel better together is when uh, other people know about my stupidity. I don't know how you feel about I'm, I'm not sure about the reaction that just happened uh, right, right there. Um, not that I, I'm sure you know that it happens, it happens very rarely, you know, when, when that happens. But the one thing, there's too much coughing over there, Tiny. I, don't, <clears throat> I, I get it. I get it. Um, I, I don't want people to know about the dumb things that I do, the dumb things that I think, the dumb things that have happened to me in my life. I mean, it's just one of those things that I don't necessarily get excited about going and, and telling other people. I don't like to put those things... On, on blast or be, be dis- on display for everyone to see. Can you imagine that? If everyone in this room, all of a sudden, if there was just some way for us to have all of the stupid things we've ever thought or done on display right here on the screen, what the reaction would be. Um, I, m- I imagine there would be great astonishment and not in a good way. The only comfort I have in that is knowing that I am in good company. Oh, that reaction was a little different, yeah, than the, than the earlier one. Because I know for a fact that all of you and all of me, we all have dumb things that we've thought or done. Some of us as recent as this morning. And yet we all need somebody that we can tell our dumb moments to and who will share theirs with us. Sometimes we just need to laugh at each other, and sometimes we just need to laugh at someone else. I mean, with someone else. Uh, I, th- I think that's what I meant. Uh, because we all do dumb things, none of us are perfect, and if we all take ourselves just a little bit less seriously, we won't be so hard on ourselves when those moments come along. Unless doing th- dumb things is a regular habit for you, then you need somebody who's going to come along and, and help you shape up just, just a little bit, process things just a little bit better. If you don't have anyone like that in your life, the person that you can tell all your stupid moments to, that's your first step and being better together with other people with what we're talking about today because you need somebody that you can be vulnerable with in, in those moments in your life because the next step is going to be even more difficult. As much as I don't want to share my stupidity with other people, I want to share my sin with other people even less in my life. And, and that would be enough for sure. I, I mean, there are moments that we can, you know, I could say something and say, hey, when I was a kid, one time I lied to my folks. And I can use that as an illustration because the chronological order of things, you know, the timeline is, oh, that was over 30 years ago. You know, so it's, there's enough distance there where it doesn't feel as bad. But then when I go and I say, well, yesterday when I lied to so-and-so, then, you know, that hits just a little bit different. And I don't necessarily want to share those sins with other people. And yet we all know again, that we're in good company because all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And I'm no different in that realm than anyone else in here in this room. And frankly, the likelihood of us going with, you know, long enough through any meaningful length of time without having sinned in our life that would be worth boasting about is pretty slim to none, right? So all of us, we know chronologically in the order of things, we probably have some pretty recent things, some recent baggage in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds that even we brought, uh, brought with us this morning. And when we hold on to those things alone, that doesn't help us at all progress 
in our faith and our walk with God. It doesn't help us at all practice the repentance that we need in our lives to embrace the character and nature of God and how it's meant to affect how we live as people who have been saved. It would be a little bit different if to repent in our lives meant to say, I'm sorry. It doesn't mean that at all. If I slap you in the face repeatedly, slap, I'm sorry, slap, I'm sorry. Eventually, I don't know how many slaps it's going to take. We could try that after service if you want. But eventually, you're not going to believe me. You're not going to believe me that I'm sorry at all. At some point, you're going to recognize that that is not repentance. Instead, repentance is a change in direction and behavior that is so much more difficult if we try to put that into practice on our own. We need the help of the Holy Spirit, and we need the help of each other to put that type of repentance that we're called to in practice. We all need somebody to whom we can tell our sin moments to because we are better together when we handle our sin together. Not we're better together when we sin together. That's a whole different, that's a, that's a different one. <laughs> when, when we don't, when we don't handle our sin together, we can get in pretty deep trouble, into pretty deep trouble on our own. And we de- develop habits that make us our, and our lives much more worse for the wear. Here's what it looks like when we handle our sin alone and where we're not better together. Uh, a couple of different habits that, that I just wanna talk to you about. The first habit is drawing inward. You know, not all of us are tempted by the same things. Uh, some of us deal with different things in our lives. We're wired differently, and we have different desires. Uh, by the way, footnote would be reading James chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. It's not the devil who makes us do it, but it's the condition of our heart that leads us into some of those sins. So you can, you can check that later out later on your own. And if we try to deal with our temptation, sometimes we stay separate because we think, well, nobody else can understand. Well, that's, true. That's, that's not entirely true because we're not as unique as we think within a group of people. If we try to deal with our temptation solely through our own willpower, we miss out on the help and the counsel and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And we miss out on the help of each other who maybe have, have been there before and know how to handle those things and have wisdom, godly wisdom share with us. When we hear about somebody who all of a sudden has this huge big blow up moment where somebody out of the blue is like, oh, here's this you know, huge sin that just happened into their life that comes, it seems like it comes out of nowhere. It doesn't come out of nowhere. It comes out of drawing inward when it comes to those sins that we have in our heart, those temptations that we have. If the condition of our own heart is the problem, this is why turning to God and each other is necessary for our sin to be addressed. We're not meant to deal with it on our own, and so Jesus takes care of that. And on our own is how we get into trouble in the first place, and that's how our relationships with the other cha- each other takes care of that. In Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17, we read, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. We need to develop those types of relationships in our lives so we can share the adversity of our sin because we need to be reminded that in those moments, we're still loved and that we are loved too much to stay the way that we are. The second habit uh, is, is a little related to that because sometimes we think, oh, okay, so I'm, I'm going to tell something, somebody a little bit about myself. And that second habit is selective disclosure. It would be really easy for me to go through life and work really hard at, and many of you know what, I'm, uh, what, what this means when I say this, but to curate a very carefully crafted image of myself to other people. 
Because it's really, you, you can go through and you can have select people in your life that you're like, you know what, I'm going to share this aspect of my life because they're going to be kind of understanding and they're kind of going to know what I'm going through. So when I'm at work, you know, I'll share this frustration I have with my boss or what, you know, whatever it is with this coworker because they can commiserate with me. Or if it's, you know, something happened at home, it's like, well, I'll talk to this family member because they can kind of, they can kind of relate or I'll talk to this friend about, about this thing. And what you end up having is you have select people who know select things about you and yet nobody knows the real you. Nobody knows your heart life or your thought life and who you really are. And so you present yourself in a certain way so as to not be fully exposed to anyone. It's so I can manage, I do this, right, or we do this so we can manage what people think of us, so we can control our own narrative. It's so much easier to only talk to people who are going to be sympathetic to our cause, for example. But when we do this, we miss out on the much-needed perspective that we get from others who are there to help us correct some of those behaviors we need to correct. Sometimes we need to be comforted. Sometimes we need to be called out. And we need people like that in our lives. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Righteous people in our life are not going to be perfect, but they are going to know how to strike the balance between encouragement and accountability. And so if we're trying to avoid that accountability by being really selective in who we tell what in our lives, we're going to miss out on the powerful prayers that create change in our life that are real and effective. There's relationships that help us to move through some of those temptations uh, to be who God has called us to be if we're not willing to, uh, to be vulnerable with the right people in our life. Does this mean I tell everything about myself to every person all the time? No. <laughs> Don't do that. That would not be wise. It wouldn't be appropriate. Uh, for me, right, this morning in a sermon, I, this is not a counseling session for me. This is not for catharsis. So I'm not going to stand up here and say, well, let me give you a list this week. You know, I've got them all written down. Here are all the sins that I committed. And so before we get into the sermon, let's talk about that. I, I'm not going to do that. It wouldn't be appropriate. However, we do need a small group of people who really do know us. And there are five people in my life who know me. There are five people in my life who keep me accountable to who God has called me to be. And what I'm saying this morning very clearly and directly is you need, not, it doesn't have to be five people, it's not a certain number, but you need people in your life who know you, who know your heart life, who know your thought life, who know the life that you're trying to lead and live that God has called you to that can help you to do that because we're better together in those moments. These five people that know everything about me, they're the first to be there to let me know if I've been, been an idiot. You need somebody like that in your life. They're also the first to be there to pick me up if I'm beaten down. And their prayers are powerful and effective because they aren't just lip service in my life. You and I need a small contingent of brothers or sisters in Christ to whom we can be open and honest with, who pursue and share godly wisdom when we confess our sins. You know, the first step to healing is admitting you have a problem you need help with. And that's one of the functions we provide as fellow believers and disciples of Jesus as part of a congregation. We do that for one another. The third habit, and you can see that there's a vicious cycle that, kinda, uh, that these habits create in our life. The third habit is just simply giving up. Uh, and this becomes the, the culturally popular approach when it comes to how we, we, live, we live out our lives. We say things like, well, this is just who I am. 
or we'll look at our brokenness and we'll say, well, that's the thing that defines me, and so I just need to live into that. We redefine what sin and evil are. Our morals and ethics are fluid as long as the end can justify the means. And so we just kind of embrace the chaos, let the chips fall where they may for the benefit of that idol that we put into place before God. Because that's what we do when we, when we just give up. We just say, hey, this thing that I'm dealing with, maybe it's this temptation, maybe it's this um, thing that maybe we didn't even choose or decide for ourselves. We say, that's going to be the most important thing, that's going to be the most overwhelming influence in our life. And that's, that's what we've done, is not only have we given up on our relationship and the issue that our sin creates between us and God, but we've just created that thing and made that into an idol. That's the thing we're going to worship, because that's what we're going to put our time and energy into and allow it to consume us. Uh, sometimes it's us, sometimes it's a piece of broken identity, sometimes it's a worldview that most closely gets at who we are without having to make any changes, right? Confirmation bias uh, plays into that. Sometimes it's the outcome we prefer and are not willing to give up regardless of how it hurts us and the people around us. And it's really easy to do this when we are on our own. We don't have any other godly men or women speaking into our life, and we've given no one else the chance or permission uh, to say anything to us that might be contrary to what we already want to believe, not necessarily what we've been called to practice in our lives. And we need people in our lives who love us too much to let us give up. This is part of us living out the gospel. Inasmuch as our status with God has changed because of who Jesus is and what he has done through the work of the cross and his resurrection, there's an ongoing work of change as we seek to become more like Jesus in our lives. Our hearts and our minds are not always in sync with our souls and who God has created us to be. And that's where the godly men and women who come in and help us uh, keep us in sync with the Holy Spirit. 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 5, uh, John writes this, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. And when we try handling sin alone, the habits that we develop and we create in our lives uh, keep us in this cycle of shame and guilt and sin that we just can't get out of on our own. It's why we need Jesus, and it's why we need each other. Our weaknesses are a consequence of sin, and we overcome those consequences, that weakness together, because there's always greater strength in numbers. And that's why God created a communal faith in which we gather together. And so to break free from these habits, or hopefully not even develop them in the first place, we need to surround ourselves with and, and create vulnerability with disciples of Jesus who are handling their sin the way that God calls us to. And so here's how repentance looks better together. Where we sin, we repent. John in uh, 1 John continues in chapter 2 and he writes this, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. And this is how we, are know, we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus 
did. Like I mentioned before, repentance isn't just saying, I'm sorry, although that absolutely can be the way that it starts. It is obedience to God and orienting our character and heart and mind to reflect that of God's. Understanding Jesus' sacrifice for our sin develops this spiritual rhythm of repentance and seeking to live as Jesus did within our lives. And we don't always come to the right conclusion on our own, and so we repent together. Sometimes collectively, uh, a great example is the American church's idolatry of politics, right? So sometimes collectively, as a big C church, not just one congregation, but we need to repent. Uh, and we do that together uh, because it impacts how people look at and experience Jesus. Sometimes it's individually. Uh, God, here is where I need you to change my life. This is the particular thing that's going on within my heart and my mind. But even though we might repent individually, we never do that alone. Those who have been repenting and living a life of repentance are meant to help others do the same. That's how we, how we help each other. That's how we're better together as we do this um, with each other. Our sin, no matter, and here, here's why that matters. Our sin, no matter how secret we keep it. No, I mean, all of us can sit here and think, oh, here's this one thing that nobody knows about, about me, all right? So we can all have that, have that in common, and let's just understand that this morning. But even though that's secret and not everybody knows about that, or maybe nobody knows about it, it doesn't mean that it's not affecting other people. Because even though we might keep it hidden, it doesn't mean that there's, an out, there, there's no outward effect. Our sin never happens in a vacuum. Even if you can't tell how it's affecting you and your heart and your mind and your soul, or you can't tell how it's affecting someone else. Uh, so there's no reason, because we all know that to be true about it, one another. There's no reason for us not to develop trusted relationships with a few to help us live a whole and righteous life, life with those who are around us, because it's impacting others whether we see it or not. And the next two, uh, next two things uh, that I have that kind of help us keep from those, uh, those, those bad habits that we develop when we're on our own uh, kind of flow with what repentance look like. Uh, so the second thing is this, where we in the world are broken by sin, we are called to reconcile. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes this, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view, Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the word, world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We cannot reconcile what's broken within the world without community and without relationship with one another. Have you ever heard of the Rosetto effect? Did any of you know what this is? Maybe somebody who's uh, um, in cardiology or, or, or maybe, uh, maybe would have heard this or heard about this in school somewhere. I just learned about it this, this past week. So there is a town in Pennsylvania named Rosetto, and it's named after a town in Italy. So people who had immigrated over to the United States who, uh, who gathered there and lived there, they just renamed it you know, from, from where they came uh, from home. And, and you can look this up sometime uh, later if you want to, or you can Google it now if you really want to. 
Uh, but Rosetto, uh, Pennsylvania, is basically used to be, it's not anymore because America ruined it. Um, I, it's just a joke, guys. It's, it's okay. We can make political jokes in church. It's, uh, really, it's, it's fine. Um, but, but they came over, and, and so they spoke Italian, and they, you know, they, they lived uh, in the way their, their culture was from, from back home. And there's this really interesting phenomenon. So, I mean, they ate terrible. I mean, it was just off. They drink, uh, they drink wine all the time, you know, instead of milk and soda like everybody else. They, they cooked, you know, meatballs and lard, all this kind of stuff. Um, and so just they worked in uh, slate quarries. And so all the slate dust and all that kind of stuff, they had health issues, you know, as a result of that. But one of the things that they noticed is that this, this community, and so they had some cardiologists and scientists do some, do some research and, and long-term, I think like a 50-year study um, on them, is that they didn't have heart disease. That, that their percentage of heart disease was just so much lower than any other community that surrounded them, and, and their numbers were so different from anyone else, and they were trying to figure out how in the world this little Italian-American uh, community, how over 50 years compared to all these other towns, their, their heart disease numbers were so completely and utterly different from, from everyone else. So through this 50-year period of research, you might see where this is headed. The conclusion that they drew was that the one thing that kept their heart disease numbers so much lower than everyone else was their close-knit community. That was the, that was the result of the finding. Now, that, as that town now has become um, more uh, weaved into our culture and most people are living you know, more like most of us live today, their levels of stress and worry and anxiety, the re- reduction of community, you know, that has changed, and so now their heart disease numbers look like everybody else's. But there for a time, the way in which they lived among each other, their stress was so reduced, their anxiety was so reduced, even though they had very difficult jobs that created other issues for them, it changed, it, they had nearly no heart attacks for, for the highest risk group of men ages 55 to 64. I mean, it's just this astonishing thing that people, uh, people saw and, and experienced. Um, they, they smoked unfiltered stogies. They drank wine with seeming abandon. They skipped the Mediterranean diet in favor of meatballs and sausages fried in lard with hard and soft cheeses. I mean, if you ever wanted to, an excuse to live the most unhealthy, like horrible, you know, uh, food life that you could. Man, be in community. And this is, this, is what, this is what reconciliation looks like. Despite the fact, you know, st- stick with me for, the, for the, the, the analogy here. Despite the fact of living in a world that's broken around them, and, and despite the fact that, you know, the limitations of being able to live a perfectly, you know, healthy life or all those things, the choices that they made, you know what changed their life experience and their health was each other. And the reconciliation that comes when we live the life that God has called us to in each other. So, so as followers of Jesus' disciples, we're not just hanging around and waiting for the perfect life in heaven like when we get there. No, we're, we're called to live that out among each other right now. And that's part of who we're called to be as we change our character and heart and our mind to the character and nature and heart of God is that we start experiencing that life among each other now as a picture of, a pale picture maybe, but as a picture of what is to come then. When we create time to let others into our lives, the health benefits are, I mean, those are cool byproducts for sure. 
But the spiritual benefits prepare us to live out the kingdom of God and give us a glimpse of the community of heaven, even, even when we're going through hell. Here's the last one I want to mention. Where we sin, we repent. Where we in the world are broken, you know, we, we reconciled. Where others sin, we restore. That's how we're better together, despite our sin. In Galatians chapter 6, Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Carry one another's burdens. Each one should carry their own load. When Paul says this, that own load is that normal everyday burden of, you know, load of responsibility that each of us carry because of the roles that we play in our life. But all of us, at some point, have troublesome weights that come upon us. Sometimes because of our own stupidity. Sometimes just because we live in a sin-broken world and, and things happen. And we need one another to, carry, to help us carry those burdens in our lives. Um, in the 1992 Olympics, Derek Redman, which I've got a picture that we're going to show up here, that looks like maybe, if you don't know his story, that's his dad right there. And it looks as though like maybe he just finished the race and he, and he didn't win, so his dad is con- consoling him. And um, maybe that, that could have been the story, but that's not what happened. Derek Redman was the favorite to win the 4x400, I think it was, um, or the 400 meters. He was the favorite to win the gold. He had just done it at the World Championship uh, right before. And so he was the favorite to win in Barcelona. And as he started the race, he was out. He was out in the head, and his hamstring um, tore in the middle of that. And as people came out, I mean, he collapsed, he's in pain, he's in agony, and people came out to help them, brought out a stretcher, but he waved them all off. Um, And he got up and he started limping to the finish line. Got to the point where he's so much in pain um, that, you know, it's just obvious that somebody else got down on the stands and ran to him, and he was about to wave them off until he saw that it was his dad. So his dad had come out of the stands and was there. And so at this moment, his dad is actually helping his son as he's going around the track one more time to get to the finish line. Um, you know, officially, if you look at the Olympics records, you're going to see, well, Derek Redmond did not finish, you know, because he had help. And so it, it wouldn't, you know, it doesn't count. And yet, over the years, um, the Olympic Committee, Nike, I mean, they use this to uh, a ton for commercials, you know, for inspiration, all, all of those kinds of things. Obviously, in, in this analogy, right, don't, don't take it too far in your head. Obviously, Derek did nothing wrong <laughs> in, in, this, in this moment. Um, but this is what it looks like to carry one another's burdens. And this is what it looks like to practice restoration when there is sin in the life of someone else. Um, there are times in our life when we sin. Are we supposed to? No. Do we do it? Yes. Is that why we need Jesus? Yes. When we try to deal with it on our own power, the finish line isn't within our power to reach. We, we just aren't going to do it on our own. As much as we want to, as much as we desperately want to reach the end, 
we can't do it on our own. But when we fulfill the law of Christ and bear one another's burdens, it doesn't matter if we finish according to anyone else's standards other than, other than God's standards. That's, that's whose, you know, did you finish standard matters. And we're called to do this for one another. That's, that's the opportunity that we have as we live out our faith in Jesus. You know, we're nothing without God. Our sin makes that so, but with him and with each other, we're far more than we could ever be alone. When we have both God and each other, the stress and weight and temptation of this world are not enough to keep us down. And listen, confession, hey, that's really great for the soul, but not just for catharsis, so we can feel better because somebody else has to carry that burden as w- with us too. Um, it's only good because it's the first step in the process of God redeeming our lives and repairing the sin-broken relationship that separates us from his righteousness. And the next step in that process of reconciliation that he invites us into is then the relationships that we share and create with one another. The more alone we feel in our shame and guilt, the more strength we give to our sin and our temptation. The more vulnerable we become with a trusted few disciples of Jesus who are walking the same walk and talking the same talk as Jesus, the more strength we get from our new creation identity in Christ. And that's why despite our sin and despite maybe the embarrassment and shame and guilt we feel and sharing that with somebody else and being vulnerable with them, we are better together because we, we help we help one another be who God has called us to be, who God has created us to be, who Jesus died for us to be. Let's pray. God, I, I know that there are those of us in this room um, that know what it's like to be fully known and how much of a weight that lifts off of our shoulders and how much peace that brings to us that we have people in our life that know us fully and love us fully because of you. God, I also know there are people that have been carrying away for a long time um, that have stuff in their hearts, in their minds, um, that they have struggled with uh, wanting to share uh, with, with anyone, um, that uh, there's a little bit of fear involved in that and not knowing what life looks like on the other side of getting help. Um, and healing from uh, something that maybe we've become comfortable with and used to. And God, no matter what it is, might not be today, might not be tomorrow, might not be the next day. It might be a year from now or two years from now. God, we just ask that um, through the work of your Holy Spirit that you help us to see if we're in that moment, if we're kind of stuck alone carrying this thing, that we we can always turn to you And we can always turn to those who follow you to help us in those moments. God, that um, not only is there a path to feeling better and healing and and moving on from that temptation, that sin, whatever that thing is that's holding us down, um, but there's there's also salvation. Uh, There's an eternity to look forward to that, that carries none of the weight of those things. God, thank you for the change in status that we enjoy, even though we don't deserve it. Uh, That even though we know uh, we all fall short of your glory, that you've still shared it with us and that you've clothed clothed us with Christ through the shedding of his blood who took on the consequence that uh, we deserve 
so that instead we can enjoy your grace. God, we praise you for that. We honor that. Um, and we ask you to give us the strength and courage we need to live it out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.